0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today's message comes from the New Testament reading of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to imagine yourself this morning as a track and field athlete. Your specialty is the 1,500-meter run, a race that is almost four laps around the track. Picture yourself in your final year of university preparing for the final race of what may possibly be your athletic career, and you are racing against the same universities you've been running against for the last four years. And on one of those teams is your biggest competition, a legend in the sport. We'll call him Christopher, whom everyone knows and everyone wants to be. It is also Christopher's last year of university, and you've run against him many times, only to see him pull away from everyone else in the final lap and leave you in the dust. You are actually a good runner, the best for your school, but your fastest time was just under five minutes. Christopher's fastest time was half a minute faster. When you ran against Christopher, the goal was just not to get lapped. Since you had been running the same race for years together, you did begin to have a bit of a friendship with one another. A really nice guy who was also really fast, Christopher was always very encouraging and even would give you some advice on your running here and there. You expect today will be like any other, and Christopher will once again show everyone how much faster he is than you and the rest of the runners. You all take your place in your lanes, the starter raises the gun, Runners, take your mark, get set, bang. The gun fires and off you go. But something that has never happened before happens. You're in the lead. You round the first bend, and you're still in the lead. Where's Christopher, you ask yourself? Did he stumble out of the gate? Did my nerves get the best of me and I started too strong too fast? No, this seems like the right pace. But what's going on? You lead after 300 meters. You get to where the race started and expect to see Christopher lying on the ground injured. But he's not there. He's nowhere in sight. He must be in the race still, you say to yourself. You finish the second lap. And after 700 meters, you're still in the lead. And your split times are right where they usually are. So where is Christopher? We're not just here to talk about a race. And we read in 1 Corinthians 15 these words, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In the history of the world, there was a time where it seemed like death had the victory. Death was winning, and it seemed like God was on the losing end. He had created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the perfect place to live, work, eat, play, raise a family, to walk and talk with God. It really was paradise. How long that perfection lasted, we don't know, but probably not very long, since we go from the perfect marriage in the garden in Genesis chapter 2 to the fall into sin in chapter 3. God had given them everything, and he said, do anything you want, but don't eat from this one tree in the middle of the garden. That's it, One rule. It was so simple. Yet Satan comes along and tempts Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, and Adam joins in too. God said that when they eat it, they would die. Satan says, Surely you won't die. You will be just like God, knowing good and evil. Before this moment in history, there was no concept of evil, no notion of sin, no understanding of death. What does it mean to die? It was a complete mystery, a mystery that would soon be revealed to everyone. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, death became a reality. And history was changed forever. Because death became mankind's greatest enemy. Death is an adversary that shows no mercy, has no respect for age, wealth, social status, anything. Death does not play fair, death does not play nice. Death robs parents of a precious child, leaving them to mourn the loss for the rest of their lives. It deprives wives and children of their defender and head, leaving them helpless in an unforgiving world. It takes away a gray-haired spouse, leaving an aging senior citizen without a lifelong partner and friend. It can arrive unexpectedly and without warning. Sometimes it comes slowly with plenty of notice for all to see it happening. On some occasions, it takes a mass amount of casualties. At other times, it targets individual victims. Death uses a variety of methods and weapons, but only rarely does it capture its prey without inflicting pain and suffering. Money. Power and intellect are things that can usually overcome obstacles, but in death, they all meet their match. Scientists, doctors, nutritionists, fitness experts can tell you they've discovered ways to help us live longer, but none of them can keep us from dying. Despite all of our modern-day advancements, death still seems to be in control because it's still very much a part of our world today. We saw that yesterday as we mourned the loss of B. Donahue, a daughter, a sister, a mother, a grandmother, a friend. After the disaster in the Garden of Eden, is it possible that the creator of life was now bound to death, the enemy's greatest weapon? Death can be scary and hopeless, but God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There is hope. Back to the track. Christopher wasn't about to simply disappear from a race. As you get close to a thousand meters, you're still in the lead, but then you hear it behind you, footsteps. As Christopher pulls up next to you, he says, did you hear those split times? You think to yourself, You're talking to me now? You're supposed to be running past me. What's going on? He says, we're right on pace for five minutes, but we've got to pick it up a little bit. Here, let me break the wind for you. You're at the third curve on the track where the wind was hitting you the hardest. So Christopher effortlessly takes the lead away from you, but stays right in front of you to block the wind. You hit 1,100 meters with Christopher in the lead and one lap to go. At this point, all your teammates who have been watching the race are looking at you saying, good job, but we knew it was only a matter of time before this happened. As Christopher builds up his famous lead, and with no more pressure on you to win, you focus on trying to beat your personal best time. Many years after Adam and Eve's failure, a man named Jesus comes into the world. But not just any man, a man it seemed who had power over the enemy. Maybe God had the upper hand after all, because Jesus not only resists Satan's temptations, but he even had power over Satan's greatest weapon, death. Jesus brings the widow's son back to life. He raises Jairus's daughter from the dead, and then he brings his friend Lazarus back from the dead, calling him out of the tomb after four days, burial clothes and all. Jesus had power and authority over death. And maybe now that catastrophic fall in the garden could be reversed. But then Jesus himself was put to death. The one who raised others to life was raised up on a cross. And it looks like once again, death is victorious. Of course, you and I are here today because we know that death does not have the last word. Because after three days, God raised Jesus from the dead as true man and true God. In our text, Paul asks, and it's like you can hear him shouting, "O oh death! where is your victory?" And what answer do we hear in return? Nothing. So Paul asks again, "O oh death! where is your sting?" Again, silence. Satan who never seems to be at a loss for words, has nothing to say. Because God raised Jesus from the dead, proving once and for all that he is ultimately in control of life and death. The sting of death is sin, and it's why death is so painful. Sin causes death, and it also brings judgment. We've all sinned. We all deserve death. But not just physical death eternal death. As Paul said earlier, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. As sinful human beings, heaven is not our reward. Our reward is hell. That is why Jesus came to bear all of death's sting in order that we would not have to bear any of it. He took hell for us, so that we wouldn't have to suffer in it for all eternity. As Paul says, death is swallowed up in victory. The sting of death stays with Jesus, just like a bee leaves its stinger in its victim. A bee without its stinger may look scary, but it can't really do you any harm. The same is true of death. It may look terrifying, but because Jesus has defeated it, it has no sting no power, no victory. Because Jesus had the victory and rose from the dead, he promises that we who believe will also rise from the dead. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed Paul writes that same scene in the New Testament reading we heard from 1 Thessalonians, that those who are dead will be raised and those who are still living when Christ returns will be brought together with those who were raised. This is a mystery, but a mystery that has been revealed to us by God and has been told to us by his disciples in his word. Now, Christ's return and the resurrection of the dead might seem a little hard to believe for some, And if Christ had never performed any other miracles, it would probably be hard for us to believe too. So let's put a different spin on it. If you never saw a birth and I tried to describe it to you, would you believe it? If I said, Well, this tiny unseen sperm from a man is combined with this unseen little egg from a woman, and they form a cell, and this cell begins to multiply. Then nine months later, out comes this baby with hands and feet and hair and ears and starts screaming. You'd say, you're crazy. You see, this is a miracle that we see over and over again, but we take it for granted because it's so common. It's no more difficult for God to raise the dead than it is for Him to create life in the womb when Christ went to the cross, it looked as though the enemy could finally claim victory for a moment. Perhaps God let the enemy step in front, but in doing so, he simply showed more of his greatness. Back to the track you're now coming up on the home stretch with a hundred meters to go. Christopher drops back and runs side-by-side with you. You've never been this close to him at the end of a race. You're running as fast as you can, and he's flying effortlessly. You want to win, but how? With one burst, he could easily pull ahead. But he doesn't. And within 20 meters of the finish line, he turns to you and says, Okay, take it. What, you ask? Christopher repeats himself. I said, take it." And with that, he slides right behind you. You cross the finish line in first place, with Christopher only a second behind. He had let you win. His teammates were yelling at him. His coach was furious. Your team is going crazy, carrying you around the track. When they finally put you down, you tell your coach, "'It's not what you think. He let me win.' He pats you on the back and says, "'Yeah, right, he did. Way to go.' No one understands. Every person thought you had just run the race of your life. The only people who knew any different were Christopher and you. An article gets published on how you defeated Christopher in the 1500 meters, but you know your competition lost on purpose. Jesus suffered defeat. He lost on purpose. He gave up his life. In what appears as a momentary defeat, only to take it up again, so that we could claim victory with him. That's what Paul says. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ gives us the victory through his death and resurrection. It's a gift. He says, take it. As Jesus said in the gospel, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die jesus is the resurrection of believers who die and the life of believers who live he promises that not he promises not that you will just survive but that you will be resurrected when he says you shall never die it doesn't mean that you will escape death but that when you take your last breath and your eyes close you will open them and see your Savior face to face. Or as Jesus says in John, anyone who believes has eternal life and has crossed over from death to life. Once the track meet is over, you watch Christopher get back on the bus and you still don't understand why he let you cross the finish line first. But we know why Christ gives us the victory. That mystery has been revealed to us because we're dead without it. Christ defeated death to give you life with him, eternal, everlasting, glorious life, amen. And now that may the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our Lord and our risen savior, Amen.